0: Our reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I will be reading verses 17 through 22. And as he, that is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not Bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite pastimes uh, was listening to uh, the older generations tell stories. Uh, I grew up listening to my grandfather uh, tell stories about uh, the old country. He would uh, tell these long and often dramatized stories about their traditions and all the trouble he used to get into growing up. His father owned a bar, and so my grandfather was a a bartender for quite some time in his younger years, and you could imagine all the sorts of stories that he would tell. But he would always tell them in a way uh, that made the past seem so innocent and that it is not the same anymore. He would always tell it in a way uh, that would almost give an excuse for him to say, uh, things have changed and it, we're living in dangerous times. Now, later on, I would find out that the times were really not all that different than today. You, you see, he grew up uh, during World War II where there were food shortages and famines and violence and all sorts of problems Around the world. Uh, But one of the major complaints. That I often heard growing up. Was that. People today. Have too much stuff. Right. Kids uh, as well as adults. Have too many toys. To choose from. Uh, Though this may be a good observation. And a warning of the dangers of living in abundance and excess. But when we bring God into the conversation, this observation may be lacking by getting at the root problem. You see, they believe the root problem was having too much stuff. But that was not the root problem. The problem is not so much that we have a lot of stuff, because... Sinners come in all shapes and sizes, right? And from all different backgrounds, from lower to middle to upper class, with little to lots of stuff. You see, the root problem is found in the sinner. The sinner is the one who needs to be changed. In our text, Jesus is approached by someone who has lots of stuff. This is the famous story of the rich young man who runs up to Jesus with an important question. He runs up to Jesus as he was setting out on his final journey, walking toward Jerusalem. He is walking toward the cross. And notice the honor and respect that this rich young man has for Jesus. This is the same Uh, honor and respect that the world often has for Jesus. Uh, They they have much respect and honor for Jesus' teachings and how he cared for the poor and those who were sick. Yet, they never come to know the real Jesus. He knelt before him and addressed him as good teacher. Uh, See, this man would have recognized Jesus as a popular rabbi who has been doing mighty works in God's name. In fact, in Luke's account, this rich young man is identified as a rich ruler that is a ruler in the synagogue. He was kind of a a property manager of the synagogue, And, and he was pretty well off. Although he was a man of high standing in society, and he was religious, he still asks Jesus the question of all questions. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he had everything, but at the same time, he had nothing. He didn't have eternal life, though he may have had everything else. Uh, Notice this is the sad reality of most rich elites in our world today. They have everything, yet it always seems that they are missing something. At the same time, they really have nothing. And this is the question that is on everyone's mind at some point or another because God has put eternity into our hearts. Even though we may deny it, every man knows that there is something beyond this life. And we know that there is a judgment day. A day when we will have to pay for all the evil we have done or receive the rewards for the good we have done. And this is the question that every major religion in the world seeks to answer. In all world religions, except for one, Answers it incorrectly. All major religions in the world. Answers this question. Incorrectly. Mostly all world religions will tell you. Just be good for goodness sake. And you will inherit eternal life. But notice Jesus answers his question. With a question That sets the tone for the entire passage. This is the main point. He answers his question by asking, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Right there, it should have settled it. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life because you're not good the way God is good which one of us can say that we are good the way God is good? Because we usually measure goodness by comparing ourselves to other people, don't we? Uh, Compared to everyone in prison, we must be doing pretty good. Right? But that is not the only standard we are to judge ourselves by. This man was a ruler in the synagogue. He Uh, knew the faith of the Jews, yet he was lacking in true saving knowledge. He was lacking in true knowledge. So Jesus was answering his question by telling him what he was lacking. He was lacking the knowledge of what it means to be good in light of a good God. And he lacked a true knowledge of Of himself. And this is what Jesus had tried to expose to him. First he was asking him the question. Do you know what it means to be good in the purest sense? In the sense that would make someone worthy of heaven. To know that ask yourself. Do you know God? Do you have a knowledge of God? He asks. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. God alone. Now Jesus wasn't confessing to be be a sinner and he wasn't denying the fact that he was indeed God. He calls himself good in other places like in John when he calls himself the good shepherd. So he is not denying the fact that he is good and that he is God. He was in a way asking him, do you even know me? How do you know that I am good? You're right. I am the good teacher. But do you understand why? Do you know who I am? You approach me and ask me about eternal life. What makes you think that I would know anything about that? You call me good teacher. Are you ready to accept me as the good teacher? Do you recognize me? In other words. He was asking him what he asked Peter. Not lack, not that long before. He asked, uh, who, who does the world say that I am? Okay, that's fine. Now, who do you say that I am? No one is good except God alone. Are you ready to accept Jesus as your God? Are you ready to believe in Him? Because in order to have eternal life, you must know God. Faith consists of knowledge trusts. It seemed that this rich man didn't know God enough to know that no one is good compared to God. When people say that they will inherit eternal life because they have lived a pretty decent life, they were good compared to other people they knew, they always paid their taxes, and they never abused their families, they gave to charities, etc., etc., we should ask the question, what about God? Do you know God? Do you know God and how good He is? And do you know His Son and how good He is? You see, that makes all the difference. Compare yourselves to Him to see where you stand. In the Scriptures, it clearly teaches us that none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Why? Because God seeks for them. All have turned aside, no one does good, not even one. Why would you call anyone good? Because God is not just concerned with our outward actions But he also looks at our entire inner life, our motives, our desires, and what we truly love. So this man didn't know who he was speaking with, and he had a surface level understanding of what good is. And to possess eternal life, we must know both of these We must know this man whom he is speaking with, that is Jesus, and the true standards of God's law. And see, throughout the Gospels, Jesus answers this man's question. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. You see, Jesus had the power to give this man eternal life. He was asking the right person. He was asking the right person. God the Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom he has given him. And then he defines what eternal life is. And this is what this man lacked. He said, but this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, by the Holy Spirit. So our assumption would be that this man didn't know God or His Son, Jesus Christ. He wanted to tell him what he must do, right, to inherit eternal life. Yet he lacked a true knowledge of God. And the question is, did he want to know Jesus? That's a good question for us, isn't it? Do we want to know Jesus? Or do we just want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? You see, we ought not to give in to the times of today that says it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you do. You see, no, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. We confess it does matter what you do, but most importantly, it matters what you believe. And we know from elsewhere that we do not inherit eternal life by what we do. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. Remember, right before this, Jesus said that we are to receive the kingdom like a child. That is, as a gift given to us, as a free gift that we can never work for or pay him back for. So we know that this man's question may have come from the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. He was so influenced by the legalists around him, he thought that he can earn his way into eternal life. Yet the man didn't know who he was talking to. Eternal life stood right in front of him. As John says of Jesus, he is the true God and eternal life. You see, faith consists of both knowledge and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So he lacked faith. He lacked faith. He wanted to earn eternal life by works. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Instead of saying, like the tax collector, Have mercy on me, a sinner. That would have made all the difference. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So Jesus plays right into his question and he tests his knowledge a bit further. It seems as if Jesus is agreeing with him that he must do something to inherit eternal life at first. You see, he says, you know the commandments. Which commandments? Notice he only summarizes the last commandments. Six commandments, and he doesn't mention the first four yet. We know he is going in that direction when he said that only God is good. But for now, he summarizes the commandments that are common and universal. Uh, Pagans and unbelievers uh, recognize these commandments as they help to govern society. Uh, These are the easy ones, so to speak. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, which is a combination of stealing and bearing false witness. Honor your father and mother. As a Jew, he would have known these commandments. So what was his response? It is the same response we get from most people today. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. In other words, is that it? Piece of cake. No problem. Ask my mom. I've always been a good boy. I've never broken any of these laws. It's like people today who believe that they actually fulfill the golden rule. Right? Do to others as you would have them do to you. Folks, that's the law. That's summarized right here. That's the commandments. And he's saying... I've never broke these laws. You see, that is the human problem. That is the human problem. It's not just that we're sinful, but we do not want to view ourselves as sinful. And most people believe that they have actually kept these commandments. And so we believe because we have kept these commandments, then we are on good terms with God. It is a false security. Uh, But notice it doesn't remain a security for that long because this man is still asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus said in a way, keep the commandments. Oh, that's it. I've done that. that. Uh, God will be so proud of me. He'll just have to save me. Uh, You see, there is such a lack of self-awareness. There is a lack of self-awareness. That is our major problem. We lack self-awareness. We are often aware of everyone else's problems and everyone else's sins except for our own. It sounds much like the present political climate, doesn't it? And the good we have done in public can often be just a cover-up for what is truly going on in private. You see. But not only was he lacking self-awareness, but he was also trying to earn... Eternal life. Or in other words, he was trying to earn God's love. Right? Because eternal life is where we will experience God's love eternally. We often see this in children. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not sure if it is because of neglect or maybe when parents expect too much from their children. But we see this in children when they are trying so hard to earn their parents' love by what they do. Now, the burning question that I would have would be, what made them believe they weren't loved in the first place? As the people of God, we are called to live a life that is pleasing to God. But that in itself does not earn His love. What makes us believe that God does not love us and He'll only love us based on what we can do to earn His love? Maybe it is some false teaching for this man. Maybe it was the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. But look at what it says. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. This man was without a clue of his own state, yet Jesus loved him. He was completely lost, and yet Jesus loved him. Why? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He loves the lost, despite themselves. That should give us a hint on how we should treat the lost, and how we should love the lost. Again, he is illustrating the fact that he blesses the least of these, despite themselves, like when he did for the children, when he took them in his arms and he, and he blessed them. Despite themselves. Now, he was totally unaware of his state, so, but Jesus would also teach him. He, that's how we love as well. We, we try to teach those who are lost the true standards of God's law. So to expose him to his own self-deception, Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, he is not calling Christians to give away everything we have and become like monks to truly follow him. Right? He's not saying that to be saved, we must give away all that we have. What he was doing was exposing him to his sin. He was exposing him to the fact that he has not kept the first commandment. He has not kept the first commandment. It says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. He was rich. And he loved his possessions more than God. More than God. He may not have murdered anyone or committed adultery or swindled anyone for money. He's probably good to his parents. But he had a love for his possessions that turned him away from eternal life. He turned his back on his Savior so that he could keep his possessions His possessions were worth more than Jesus. And Jesus exposed him to his own idolatry. His possessions were his God's. And he was devoted to these false gods. And the law, the true standards of God's righteousness that is required of everyone, exposes the human condition in his light. In the light of God's law, we should all become undone. All of us. We should all become sorrowful. This man represents every sinner in light of God's law. This man thought he was doing good, but then Jesus exposed him to the fact that he broke the first commandment to not have any other gods before him. So that means he broke all of the commandments. You break one, you broke them all. He is not as righteous as he thought he was. He placed his love and trust in riches and possessions instead of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Right? Abraham had possessions, Job had possessions. It was taken away, and then he was giving, given even more at the end of his life. But we are just stewards of what we possess, not to hoard it as if the possessions themselves give us life. They cannot and will not give us life. God is the one who gives us life, even in the face of death. Sadly, this man doesn't believe and he goes away sorrowful. So we must have a knowledge of God and secondly, we must have A knowledge of self. Jesus is calling all who believe in Him to examine ourselves. Examine what it is we truly love and cherish. Is what we do just an outward show or is it truly spiritual? Do we have a faith that has God in mind? Do we have a faith that recognizes our own sin? Or are we blind to ourselves? In order to have a knowledge of self, we must know the true standards of God's law and how far we have fallen from that law. This is one of the uses of God's law. And the rich man represents all of us, both rich and poor. He doesn't just represent one class of people. He represents all people in light of God's law. God's law and His word exposes us to our sin so that we would flee to Christ for salvation from sin. As Christians, we must realize how helplessly sinful we truly are and the fact that we cannot save ourselves by doing anything. We must come to know our true need. Eternal life is all out of God's free grace and love. We can't earn it. He loved us first. That is why he sent his son to die and to be raised for us. Jesus was standing right in front of this man. Yet the man could not receive and believe in him because he turned away to go back to his possessions. Though we asked Jesus what to do to inherit eternal life, his life was not really centered on the kingdom of God. It it was a self-centered question. Notice, what must I do, what must I do to save myself? That is how many people view their own salvation. Salvation is is, is about making decisions that will save me from hell, rather than God sending His only Son, Jesus Christ, to save me, so that I might live for God in this life and live with God in the next. See, he was still self-centered rather than God-centered. He wanted the gift of eternal life, but not the giver of the gift. He didn't want God in the picture. He just wanted the gift. He was willing to do anything except forgive up what he loved most, his possessions. He wanted eternal life, but he didn't want to risk losing all that he had for eternal life. His decision was based on maintaining his cushy lifestyle in this world which only lasts for a moment rather than making a decision based on eternal life. He didn't want to leave his worldly riches for heavenly riches. Jesus promised him if you sell all your stuff and give that money to the poor and follow me now, you'll have riches in heaven. Because not only have you helped someone else live a better life, But you also follow the one who can grant you eternal life by grace. By grace. Because the truth of the matter is, we can have everything in this world. Yet if we do not have Christ, we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. This world and its riches only last for a little while. Then it is gone then it is gone. If we rely on what we own to grant us life, if we rely on our own achievements or our good works to earn eternal life, we will find ourselves in a sad and sorrowful place. Because we are all debtors to mercy alone. We cannot pay back anything we owe to God. The answer to his question was right in front of him. But he was blinded. He was blinded to himself. By himself. He was blinded to God. By his own love. His love for his own sin. If we ask anyone. Why should God grant you eternal life? Often the response you'll get is a list of performances or good deeds. I remember in elementary school, uh, they used to give us a, a journal uh, to write down a list of good deeds that we did during the school year. And, and at the end of the school year, we, we'd hand it in to our homeroom teachers, uh, possibly for a reward or for public recognition. Right? Uh, this was to foster a habit of doing good in our communities, And so the motive wasn't bad. And in the beginning, the students were excited. Uh, They were looking around for something good to do. So, mind you, we would pridefully uh, pick up litter where we found it. Or we would pridefully uh, help uh, uh, an older uh, woman carry their groceries to the car. Uh, But as the school year went on, human nature kicks in. And most of us just began making stuff up to write in the journal. Now, this journal wasn't like the law of God. It wasn't mandatory. But notice the students wanted to earn the teacher's favor. We wanted the satisfaction of being considered good. Right? That is how it is for most of us when we look back at our Christian lives. What can we give to God to pay him back for our salvation? Many people believe that they can just pay God off with a book of good deeds and never care to love God or honor God. They just do it for themselves. And this is what this man was missing. Jesus said, give up your idols and come follow me. That's the emphasis in the text. It's not giving away the things. The emphasis is in follow me. The emphasis was on Jesus. He was to give up his idols and put Jesus first. He was to love him more than anything else. He was to have no other gods before Jesus. He was saying, come follow me and I will grant you eternal life. But where was Jesus going? We must have that in mind. Where was Jesus going? Why would I need to leave everything behind? Well, Jesus, remember, was going to Jerusalem where he will suffer at the hands of his enemies and die on the cross for idolaters like this man. That debt this man could not pay, Christ would pay. You see, we got to keep the entire context in view here. He is about to display his love for this man and all sinners who come to him. Jesus will answer his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He will answer his question by going to the cross. He was saying, follow me to the cross and you'll see. You'll look at the cross and live eternally. Because this is the only way to have eternal life. Is to follow Jesus. Jesus pays our debt. And he gives us his perfect and complete righteousness. So that when we stand in the presence of God. God will judge us based on what Christ has done. And not what we have done to inherit eternal life. He inherits eternal life for us. So the question for this man and all of us is can we not give up all our lives for him? He's done it for us. Can we not give up our lives for him? Paul says one has died for all therefore all have died. When he died we died. Right? When he died to sin, when he nailed sin to the cross. We died to sin. Then Paul moves on to what is next for the Christian disciple. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what he was calling this man to. This is what he calls every Christian to do. So ask yourself, What is it in your life that you love so much that it could possibly make you turn away from eternal life when it is right in front of you? If you're hearing these words today, eternal life is granted to you right now. What would make you turn away? What would make you turn away from God and continue in a lifestyle of sin? That it would make you turn from following Jesus Christ. For Christ possesses endless forgiveness and grace to offer you. It's eternal. You ever thought of that? Eternal life is eternal grace. One that we can never deserve. Now one interesting observation about this rich young man is that he is unidentified. Oftentimes when someone remains unidentified, it is because the identity of the man belongs to the writer himself. Uh, Just as John spoke of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This unidentified man appears three times in the Gospel of Mark. He appears here. He appears in Mark 14. As the man carrying a jar of water leading his disciples to the upper room where uh, they will share in the Last Supper. Actually, it is also believed that that upper room belongs to this rich man. And when Jesus is betrayed and arrested, there is a random account of a young man who is there. And this random account adds nothing to the story. But what I believe, it was to reveal that it was Mark... Who was there? It says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. Remember that. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Notice, he only had a linen cloth about his body. Meaning, he must have left his possessions to follow him. But like all the disciples, in the midst of the arrest, out of fear, he fled and left all that he had left. Behind as he ran off naked. How ironic. He left his possessions, and at that point, at the arrest of Jesus, he left everything else, including his clothing that he had on his back. Now, this could be just speculation, but we're hoping that this rich young man was Mark who wrote this gospel and that he did find eternal life. But the most important question we can get from this text today. Is are we willing to give up our all? Maybe our status. Maybe it is our cushy lifestyle. Or maybe it is the feeling of being accepted by a culture that's growing more and more hostile to the Christian message. Are we willing to give that up for the sake of following him? For the Christian disciple, that is the most important question we can ask ourselves. And the most important question for those who are not Christians is, do you have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Amen. Let us pray.